You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 33 of the Comic Book Informer. And we're actually coming to you on July 1st. It's a Friday. Unfortunately, uh, we had some personal issues to attend to this week, so we apologize for it being late. However, on good side, happy Canada Day, It's Canada Day, yes. Happy Canada Day to everybody listening. Well, everybody Canadian listening. I don't care if they're Canadian or not. Happy Canada Day. We don't discriminate. (laughs) Unlike you guys there, that it's just all about you, us, everybody, celebrate. It's Canada Day. Have a beer. (laughs) <laughs> fine but my beer is from boston doesn't count i'll send you some real gear beer. <laughs> anyway uh, i didn't watch it opening weekend because i wasn't about to deal with that but i did swallow my pride and actually go to see green lantern and i do have to say much like i felt x-men wasn't as good as a lot of people were saying green lantern wasn't as bad as a lot of people are saying. Unfortunately, it, it was it was still bad. I, I did not like very much of that movie at all. Uh, right off the top, I'm sorry to say, but Ryan Reynolds is just horribly miscast as Hal Jordan. I don't feel that the movie really captured his character very well. And don't get me wrong, I'm all I'm all for you know mixing up the the legacy, you know, changing the canon. I'm okay if it doesn't fit exactly what was published in the comics, but I feel you do need to get the characters right. And that that's something that other movies have succeeded on. You know, Spider-Man, X-Men, the characters were right, even if the stories were slightly different. And the the good things about the movie, uh, the, the lantern constructs I felt were uh, a little better than I was expecting going in. Some creativity there. I liked that. Uh, Hector Hammond, uh, the one of the villain characters, I really liked his character. I really liked his story arc. I just wish it had played out more. And I think that was one of the really the big problems with the movie. There's too much in there. You had Hector Hammond, you had Parallax, and you had Sinestro, whose character arc was made no sense. He was criminally underused in the movie. He shows up for 10 minutes, and he's just a jerk. And then suddenly at the end, he's evil. I I think they could have done a better job picking one villain instead of three. And you said you, you'd seen it as well. What do you think, Roger? Basically, pretty much everything you're saying. Although I I would be a little bit even more harsh than you were. Um, I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> I, I don't feel the need to be. <laughs> if something's really not good, then it's just not good. It, it was funny because we watched it and it was one of those, okay, like many comic book movies disconnect the brain don't expect too much just go in and expect that popcorn flick that's just going to entertain and in that regard it does i mean if you have no clue about any of the canon if you have no clue about who hal jordan is supposed to be in terms of his character his personality and whatnot then you're going to watch this and you're probably going to enjoy it if you like silly popcorn movies kind of thing if however you've even read a little bit of the comic books, you're probably going to be fairly disappointed. I wasn't impressed with Reynolds at all. It was, I like him in some roles. In a lot of roles, he, he tends to always be the same guy. He's always that same mm-hmm. character. So he fits that very well. I mean, when you see some of the things that he did, like when he played Deadpool, he fit that character. He, in fact, fitted very, very well. And him being cast as, as Deadpool coming up is a good casting call. But as um, as Green Lantern, it just didn't work. I don't think it would have worked with any of the Green Lanterns, um, not even Guy Gardner. I, I sure, think he would have pulled off a good Kyle Rayner. I, even then, I don't think so. I honestly don't think so because Kyle Rayner is still much more serious overall. He's he's much more of a moody artist than he is a, a goofball like Reynolds tends to portray. And I know that Hal Jordan had a little bit of that cockiness, which which he, he was able to do that. But Hal Jordan was still is still much more serious overall. And Ryan Reynolds just comes off as goofy so to me it just the casting really didn't work um i like the casting for sinestro i thought that was awesome and he i just wish she was in the movie more yeah and he pulled it off well i was like oh cool and he and he did a good job with what he he was doing in terms of that character and i liked some of the other characters as well but i didn't 
I don't know. There was too much about it that just it it was all over the place. And the stuff with Parallax too is like, if you've read the stories in the comic books, this is insanely powerful. This is like <laughs> I, I know they tried to depict that when they're showing it destroying worlds and all that, but you you still don't see it that much. I mean, you get a glimpse of how powerful it is when all of those green lanterns lanterns are destroyed in, in a heartbeat, and yet Sinestro still survived. And I'm going, okay, well. Why did it single him out to survive this? But anyways, there were little things like that throughout, which, again, typical of a comic book movie. So, I don't know. I, I, I Maybe it's because <laughs> I, I, I've i invested so much <laughs> in freaking Green Lanterns <laughs> lately. Whether it's the War of Light, the Brightest Day stuff, the Darkest Night, all of this. I've read so many of them. And it's funny because it's not like it's my favorite series by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and yet, I feel just because of how much I've read that when I go in, I expect it to be a little bit closer to the canon. To actually, you know, I don't know, to... to there's a lot that they still could have done. I understand the the liberties that you have to do when you're taking a movie, but there's still a lot that they could have done within the confines of the canon that would have made for a fantastic movie. Yeah, I, I do have to correct you, though, when you say that as a comic book movie, you can't expect much. I mean, this year has shown us that we can expect more. Uh, despite the few issues I had with First Class, I felt overall it was a very well written, very well acted, very well directed movie. Thor, while it might have been a little... Um, Average overall was a very enjoyable movie and it told a very relatable story that a lot of people could get into. Unfortunately, just as as a film itself, not even as a comic adaptation, Green Lantern was poorly written, poorly acted and poorly directed. So I, I think we need to have to start expecting more from comic movies, especially from what we've seen so far this year, comparing what we have seen to this yeah, and when you're saying the constructs too, I'm thinking, really, imagination? He pulled up a freaking machine gun thing. It was better than expected, I said. Yeah, because really, like, when you're looking at how much power there is in these things, and he's pulling up swords, and I'm thinking, really? Come on. <laughs> at least Sinestro called him out on that, though. Yeah, but that's, I don't know. I, again, I, and, and I'm not a huge Green Lantern nerd by any stretch of the imagination. If I was, I'd own up to it. I'm not. And yet even I'm watching this going, eesh, nah, no, I'm not watching this again. Yeah, and, and for the, all the money they spent on the CGI, uh, Warner Brothers is claiming this movie cost a lot less than it did. Um they, they really needed to turn out a better quality movie for the amount they invested in it. And we just didn't see it here. No. Uh, but you said you also finally got a chance to see First Class. How'd you like that one? See, that's the other one, too, where you're praising it more than I am. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I liked the uh, the acting quite a bit, although I didn't think the casting was quite right, especially for Xavier, because once again, you've got somebody that's supposed to come from New England with an English accent and it doesn't fit because you're not going to have an English accent. You'll have a. About- I, I, I think that's just something they kind of had to carry over from the Patrick Stewart casting in the future movies. They kind of had yeah. to go, OK, this is the guy that could grow up to be Patrick Stewart. Yeah, I, I wasn't as crazy about what they did with the canon as well. And, and again, I'm, I'm willing to accept when canon has to change for a movie. I mean, we saw it in the other X-Men movies as well. So I'm all right with that. But then some of it, it just comes off as ridiculous. When you're looking at um, Beast, <laughs> and yeah. they made such a big deal about these feet. And I'm going, really? I know they mm-hmm. used to joke around about his feet being large, but he was large himself. But they, he, it was never these freaking demonic cloth things on his feet. It was not like that. And then the whole thing with Mystique as well, I actually didn't like. She doesn't belong there. She was never there. That, do, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't exist. They brought her in just for the CGI effects. That's all it was. So something like that then, you're getting in a... Uh, uh, a character who's being forced into a situation like a wedge in order to, to fill a space because, okay, we need a character that can, you know, morph and do all these things so that we can shove it in the story here, here, and here and use it as plot points. Doesn't matter if it actually makes sense or if it's part of any of the canon or anything like that. It fits, put her in. But the thing is, is that anybody who's got any knowledge of the series is going to look at it and say, wow, that's like, it's too far removed from the canon to actually make even a modicum of sense and I didn't like it and then I don't like the fact that she's still like fairly young 
when she's joining the X-Men team and they're over-sexualizing her at a very young age mm-hmm. still. And again, that's the father of me. So, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of young guys that were like, woohoo, this year shift into this. But, um, but no, I'm watching this and thinking, no, that just kind of makes me feel a little creepy when you see Eric with her. And, um, and so there were different things like that that I really, they messed with the canon too much. And then when you're looking at Shaw, Kevin Bacon was the worst casting they probably could have done for Shaw. I really liked Kevin Bacon in oh, that role, though. Oh, God. I, he did not fit at all. He didn't fit at all. And then again, you've got some... Starts I, I, I off would say with, he, he, he fits, you know, the comic interpretation of the character, but the way he played the character in the movie, I enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't at all, at all, at all. I, okay. you, Kevin Bacon is one of those where it's a real hit or miss. And unfortunately, lately, it's more if he's playing a real creep that he's... He's doing a good job, which you would think it would be this, but I just, I, it was, it was, I found it was terrible casting. And then once again, you've got the German guy with the German accent at the beginning when he's trying to do German. And then you've got him slowly shifting until he's just speaking regular old English. And it just doesn't fit. I had a lot of problems with the accents throughout the movie. And to me, that actually is one of the things that will take me out of the experience. If you can't maintain your accent, or if it doesn't make sense that you're supposed to be this, but you're coming off speaking English, or you know, things like that, it really throws it off for me. And then the casting for a lot of the other characters, I... I really didn't like. And then some of them they, were, they like, were all worthless anyway. Yeah. And characters that you're like, who the hell are you? What the hell is, what, what are you? And it just, I don't know. I, I didn't. And the casting for Emma. Oh my God. That was oh, terrible. Oh, that, that, yeah, terrible. That was awful. So, and there was too many things with the story too, that were far too cliche. I know that X-Men overall is a cliche story, but I mean, just look at, at the first one. And some people will knock it and say, oh, it was terrible and all this and, and far too popcorn. But you know what? As a popcorn movie, as a comic book adaptation and whatnot, look at that first one. And the story was solid. The story was good. The acting was fantastic. All of these things, it just, it held out. It was, it was a good show. And then you compare it to this and there's too many points where you're, you're, you're picking up little things and going, eh, this isn't right. This is, this doesn't feel right. I mean, all the stuff with Hank to me was it, it was unnecessary for the movie useless overall. useless and then when he is telling mystique that she only looks good when she is morphing herself you're thinking like again how cliche you're you're, you're forcing scenes in order to get to the point that you want to in the movie and it, i don't i it was it was all right i enjoyed it but it certainly wasn't anything that i'd call good by any stretch of the imagination and they absolutely nailed the character of wolverine though well, that's the thing. I was, <laughs> I actually laughed when that showed up. It was like, okay, a little unnecessary language there, but it was like, okay, yeah, that that I like that. Yeah, I mean, well, after the disastrous third X Men movie and the complete uh, the abomination that was Wolverine, First Class is a good step of moving the franchise back in the right direction. Uh, the first two were great. The third was awful. Wolverine, I don't want to talk about. And, and while I wouldn't say it was. X-Men First Class was a great movie. I still enjoyed it a lot. I've still felt that at the core, it was a good movie, even despite its flaws. But enough yeah. for that. I'm not, I don't want to slam it too much. I don't want it to come off as a, I'm slamming it too much. I, I like when I watch it with my youngest and I told the wife that, you know, we can watch it again with you. I, I, would, I would watch it again. But is it something that is phenomenal that I would rank up with the first one? No, not even close, really. And you get all these people saying, oh, it's as good as The Dark Knight. No, not even, not, not even remotely. Not, yeah, not even in the same category. Uh, just to briefly look ahead, though, uh, this week uh, we got the final trailer for Captain America. And I have to say, I am really looking forward to this movie. I am looking forward. I'm anticipating Captain America even more than I was for Thor. And anybody who knows me knows I love me some Asgardian gods. So just the way that they're portraying the movie, the way the movie looks, I really can't wait to see this one. Now, I know you, you're not a big Captain America guy. So I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what you're what you're thinking here. I actually am kind of looking forward to it as well. Not in, I was really looking forward to X-Men First Class, like really. So not to that degree, but I am, and it's mainly because, not because of the IP, but mainly because of what we're seeing on the trailers. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just looks damn good. And it looks like the casting is going to be spot on as well. So Tommy Lee Jones, come on. Yeah. 
it just it, they're doing a good job. The cast, it, I, I think that they need to realize when they're doing these movies that they're in a lot of cases they're not spending enough time on the script. They're 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 relying far too much on cliches. They're taking far too many liberties, and the scripts don't always hold out. I mean, the Dark Knight notwithstanding and and shows like that but in a lot of cases we can agree that yeah a lot of time could have been spent rewriting those scripts and then the directors they're not always putting the best directors for these because it's still not seen as um having as much worth as say a movie based on a novel or something like that they're still not giving it enough respect that they should so in some cases yeah you're getting big name directors but in a lot of cases still it's like people who were directing um you know commercials and things like that or music videos like look at the 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 um Ah, I forgot the Deadpool one that's coming up. I can't remember the name of the director, but I believe he used to direct videos for games or something like that. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, props to you, man, but that's not the big time, okay? Um, So they need to to, to work on those two, but I think what they need to, if you're not going to do that, at least have amazing casting. Put the right people in those scenes so that even if it comes off sounding cliche, it's still going to look like it's, okay, well, at least it's the character. I mean, look at them. That's who you would expect it to be. And... What we're seeing with Captain America is like, yeah, it looks spot on. It looks like it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, the, the scene where, you know, he dives on the grenade and the trailer, I was like, oh, that that's it. That one scene right there is like, that's Captain America. That's, you know, that's what really grabbed me. I was like, okay, they're doing this right. So, yeah, really, really looking forward to Captain America. Comes out in a couple weeks. Absolutely cannot wait. Had to make a deal with the, uh, the girlfriend. We'll go see Harry Potter if you oh. promise to go see Captain America. <laughs> It's not worth it. You got the, you back got to back weeks, so I had to do something. You got the tail end of that deal, boy. <laughs> All right. So uh, we actually do have some comics to talk about here. And the first thing we want to talk about is uh, Moon Knight. Uh, it's part of Marvel's Big Shots initiative where they're relaunching three of their, I want to say B-list characters, but really putting A-list talent on the uh the comics themselves coming up later this month we have uh, daredevil relaunching with mark wade and uh marcos martin paulo rivera uh, just based on the talent behind that one i'm very interested but uh, we've already seen the first one relaunching with moon knight with brian michael bendis writing and alex malieve on art and i don't want to say i don't like this i'm just it hasn't really grabbed me yet. I've always liked Moon Knight as a character, going back to, you know, my roots reading back in the 80s. I always thought Moon Knight was a really cool character. And I think they're just kind of twisting it a bit too much here for my liking. Uh, Mark Spector, he's always had this, you know, this fractured personality of he's, you know, he's himself, he's the Moon Knight, and he set up a couple extra identities for himself just so that he could remain hidden and still do his job and just all the stress just kind of fractured his personality he did start manifesting the different personalities and it was a really interesting twist on the superhero character it's not something we've really seen much of and i i just always liked it and what we're getting here in bendis's moon knight um mark has moved out to la to start doing his own thing that's cool and instead of his own personalities, he's starting to manifest personalities of the other Avengers, Captain America, Wolverine, Spider-Man. And I do have to say the way that they did the big reveal, it kind of makes me wish I didn't already know about it because that last page of the first issue was really cool. Um, I'm just not liking that he he's he's not only taking on the traits of the characters, he's also dressing up as them and using their powers. I don't know how I quite how I feel about that aspect of it. And that's why I'm just kind of waiting for it to grab a hold of me at this point. Yeah, I I really wanted to like this at all a lot and these first two issues I'm reading them and again, it's all over the place. And I know that that's supposed to be because of the character as well because that's that's his mindset. But like all of these 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 scenes where he's imagining himself with the others or he's being the others and it, it might become something that i actually like but it's one of those things where right now it's not it's not working for me so again maybe down the line a few issues yeah it's going to be something that I'm, I'm much more familiar with and that i see coming and things like that but as it stands now it just feels so erratic and again i know that that's the character so that's what you kind of have to have but as a reader erratic isn't always the best thing to to lock you in so that you feel like coming back for more 
Yeah, and, and and that's Bendis. Bendis is always about character and dialogue, so in, more so than the actual overarching storyline. And like, I love the you know the little touches, like even his imaginary Wolverine and Spider Man make fun of each other. I, I just love that. But I, again, it it's too much sitting around and talking, which has has frequently been a criticism of Bendis. But I think here it's really noticeable because Moon Knight has always been a character that just goes out there and makes stuff happen. And especially when you're relaunching a comic, you need a little more action, you know, at the beginning to really grab the people. And again, I don't want to say it's bad. It's just not doing it for me personally. And that carries over to the art too. I mean, Alex Maleev has a certain style to him and I accept the style. I just don't like the style personally. I, yeah... <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, it's the style is not one that I'm particularly fond of. Let me. Okay, let me correct that. The style is not one that I'm particularly fond of for this series. For some series, it will fit that kind of jagged, edged style that's very raw, like we saw in Taskmaster. Fits, and it probably would. I mean, it's still, it kind of fits when you're looking at it again for this, simply because, again, the character, it is erratic. It is not so, you would think that it fits, but yet I'm reading it and thinking, I can think of a lot of artists that I would prefer to see working on this. Let me put it that way. I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of other artists that if they were given the chance to work on this, yeah, would be something that it would then shine a lot more. You'd You'd really feel that you're, you're, you're in there. I mean, when you're looking at the fight scene, this is what I'm looking at right now, the fight scene in the second issue where he's Spider-Man and you're getting the little flashes of Moon Knight and Wolverine. And he's Wolverine keeps saying, let me in, let me in, let me in. And then finally, when he goes in, the claws pop out on Spider-Man and you're like, okay, that's obviously not Spider-Man either. <laughs> and you're getting the, you're, you're much more at that point realizing what's going on and that this character is all of them and it's all blending in. I'm looking at the art and I'm thinking like it's those scenes that I really would have liked to have seen somebody else doing them. And I I would have preferred somebody else on colors as well because I really didn't dig the colors. If you're looking at the especially two page spreads, there's far too many of the same colors and nothing really everything blends in far too much. When you're looking at the fight scene with Spider-Man, all you're seeing is red everywhere for the most part. And I don't know. It's. I wasn't crazy about the art. I just wasn't. Especially like the last couple times, at least you saw Moon Knight was in uh, Shadowland, which I can't remember the name of that artist off the top of my head. I want to say Billy Tan, but I don't think so. And in his own Moon Knight Shadowland series, which had Bong Dazo on the art and both of those series just blew it out of the water. So it's a big shift going from that artwork to this. And again, I I don't. I can't say it's bad. There's. There, it does. It certainly has a certain style to it. Just like the story, it, I can't say it's bad. Just not digging it personally. No, I. I'm really hoping I do. I again, it might very well be just one of those things where once we get used to the character and once we get used to what is going on on the, uh, on the page and whatnot, then maybe yeah. But for the time being, it's still. I'm having a hard time digging it. Yeah. Uh, moving away from that, and this is a comic we have touched on very briefly a few weeks ago in the What We're Reading, and we both liked it, but I want to give it a little more detail, and that's Samurai's Blood. Uh, it's coming out from Image. As we mentioned, the first issue was only a dollar, so you really don't have much of a reason not to check this one out. And coming from us personally, who we both enjoy good samurai stories, this is an awesome comic. If, if you break Go back to uh, our first episode back when we were talking about Five Ronin. A lot of those same ideals carry through here. It's a great story uh, focusing on good characters that are you know bound to their honor, uh, betrayals going on, and really what that means to them personally, not just, oh, man, that guy killed my dad. It's that guy, you know, he's not living up to the code. And it's just I, I really liked the story. I like the setup with the whole clan being destroyed, leaving just these three kids behind, you know, just fight for their own personal honor and they're young. They really don't know about, you know, what that honor means to them yet. They just kind of, they have the the code in their head, but it doesn't really mean much to them. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how this story plays out. One thing though, that I, I, bothers me about this comic and it's, it's something I've seen repeated over and over again throughout all the various comic sites I visit. And it's really why I wanted to talk about this is a lot of people 
are criticizing this comic for being too cliched. And Roger, I know that's one of your favorite words to use when we're talking about comics. So I was really wondering what you thought about that. There's a big difference between being cliche and creating a story that um, that that fits into a certain genre. There's exactly. A, there's, there's a very, very big difference there. And I mean, a lot of that also has to do with uh, personal taste. So somebody who is a, a huge comic book fan, okay, has been reading comic books since they were kids and loves everything, has never read, you know, Hemingway or Fitzgerald or any uh, other, you know, I don't want to say real literature, but actual literature, and has comic books is enough for them. For them, when we're looking at, as an example, the Superboy that's out right now. <laughs> and, <laughs> you knew I was going there. Um, so when you're seeing a lot of the things that are in Superboy that I would call cliche, they may say, no, they're honoring a classic from a scene from such and such a time, whatever. whatever. And so it's just paying tribute to that. Like when you look at the issue that was the Flash versus Superman race that they have done how many times over and over and over again i had taken the screenshots to put on the sites because it's like there's so many of them they keep doing them somebody may say well yeah but that's just honoring a classic and so that's what they're doing whereas i say no it's cliche it's been done so a lot of it has to do with personal taste and i can appreciate that but when i look at samurai's blood being someone who really appreciates a good samurai story i i mean i love good samurai stories I appreciate that a lot of samurai stories are going to be very similar because they have to follow. It's like a haiku. You have to follow a very specific type of of a genre of writing that story, of, of being able to impart what it is that you want to say. You still have certain liberties to play with, but you still want to stick true to some of that. So again, I can appreciate that some of the people will look at that and say, oh, it's just cliche, it's been done. Whereas I can look at it and say, wow, they're doing an amazing job paying homage to the stories before them while still offering something unique and some mm -hmm. really fantastic little plot twist that you can look at it and, and, and care about those characters. Yes, we've seen this kind of story where the young kids are going to want to avenge their parents' death. We've seen that time and time again, but it fits into that, that timeline, into that type of storytelling, and... It's being done in such a way that with just one issue, just one one dollar issue, <laughs> I am already invested in these kids. The story was told so well before they had to make their race to, to leave. And it was done so well that you actually in that short period of time already care for them, already understand how they're not yet fully aware of their clan's heritage and what their role is going to be in that because they have to win that back and, and take it back over again. So there's a lot of things that, again, what somebody else will look at as cliche, I'm looking at it as they're following a pattern. They're doing a great job. I love the characters. I care about them. And I can already foresee to a certain degree where it has to go, where the story has to go based on stories prior to that, which had to follow the same genre. So I know kind of where it's going, but I'm just, I'm looking forward to seeing the kids on that journey and what twists and turns they may take that may be a little different from the norm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'm so glad that we're completely on the same page here because as you said, if you don't hit certain points just right, it stops being a samurai story. And that's just a story about some guys with swords. So yes, you do have to follow certain notes, but I feel within the, you know, the standards of a samurai story, this did a pretty good job of really differentiating itself from everything that's come before. So it, the one reason why I really wanted to bring this up and what bothered me so much about this is, okay, I can deal with people not liking something I like, happens all the time. But when you know these various websites, consistently criticize comics like this and like Flashpoint for, you know, being too cliched or, you know, just not not what they want to see in a comic. And yet at the same time, consistently praising stuff like I zombie. Oh, dude. Like oh. like oh. like bat incorporated oh. Oh. things which I'm sorry, if you can't see the the cliches <laughs> in those comics you're missing something. So it, it's this huge double standard between truly unique works and the same crap we've seen over and over again. But hey, I like this writer. So I, 
And that's one of the things that makes me so happy that we're doing this because I really love, you know, giving time to things that really deserve it, like Samurai's Blood. So it, don't believe everything what you see. It's only a dollar. Check it out for yourself, please. Oh, I did. When I see sites that praise in the same sentence will praise iZombie and Superboy <laughs> and then put something like this down. I'm sorry, but I've lost all respect for the writers and the editorial staff that would put out that kind of crap. And again, it's very subjective. I understand that. There's a lot of people who like iZombie. Good for you. But do not in the same breath say that iZombie is original and then put this down for being cliched. That is the biggest load of crap imaginable. I've reviewed iZombie. If you want to know what I think about it, go to the site. It is, oh my God, it's crap on a stick, people, is what it is. And I'm sorry to the creators, but man, I've got no use for it. I also have no use for Superboy right now. It is full of cliched, stereotypical crap that we've seen time and time again. And it's just plain melodramatic bad. And then you get something like this that is, I mean... Owen Wiseman has studied a lot of Japanese history. Now, what's funny is that, and I've never mentioned this, but one of the novels that I've been working on for actually quite a while now, and it's a series that I'm doing uh, for young adults. And so I'm writing this story and I have to research Edo period Japan quite extensively because part of my story takes place there. So... I'm, you know me well enough when I'm doing something, I go all out and research like crazy and, and everything. So I already knew part of the history for that period because again, I've read a lot of stories from there and I've always loved it, but I went out of my way to take and read a lot of books from the library from that period. I mean, a lot. I kept going back and reading over and over again, all manner of different stories, pieces, fictional or not, everything so that I could research that time period so that it was, excuse me authentic when you you read my piece and then when i'm reading this story here so much of the detail so much of the little things that you're seeing i mean things that the artist was able to capture looks the way that they're looking down the way that they're kneeling the 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 look of the 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 planks even that in the the dojo the 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 houses that they're in like all of these little things that both the artist as well as the writer captured so beautifully and I can appreciate the insane amount of work that went into creating just this one issue, which makes me look forward to the entire series so much. I mean, I've already contacted the publisher and I would love to have Owen Wiseman on here or even Nam Kim so that we can talk about the art. I love the work that they did on this first issue and I can't wait to see the rest. Yeah. And, and again, I'm all for liking something despite its flaws. Um, you know, some of those reviews I've written that you've read through stuff like Chaos War and uh, Thor, I, I pointed out the flaws that were there. But I did say I still enjoyed it despite those because of my personal preference. So uh, please be feel free to like whatever you want, but don't hate on something just because you don't like it, see it for what it is. If the writing is good and the art is good, say that, but you're not into it. Just like we talked about in Moon Knight. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just not into it. In all honesty, this first one here, <laughs> the only thing I didn't like <laughs> was that the cover was a little too emo with the characters. <laughs> it was like teenage Final Fantasy haircut kind of things. That was the only thing I didn't like. The story itself, once you got into it, there was not a single point where I was not enjoying myself. Okay. So, Samurai's Blood, please. Dollar. Do it. Uh, <laughs> quickly touching on the uh, what we're reading here again, my weekly flashpoint uh, checkup. Uh, we had uh, there was the reverse flash one shot. Uh, I don't know about that one. It seemed like the story they were telling there related more to the regular DC universe than the flashpoint universe. I I don't know. Uh, aside from that, though, the Kid Flash one I enjoyed a lot. Uh, it kind of tied into what we saw in Flash, the Flash series prior to Flashpoint and twisted that around. I liked that. Uh, the Outsider, again, it's one of those many things that I wasn't expecting to like, 
but I ended up really enjoying it. And the Lois Lane one, I really like that. I love how they're showing the um, the battle in Europe from all the different perspectives. We're getting Aquaman's perspective. We're getting Wonder Woman's perspective. Now we're getting Lois Lane's perspective. And they're all unique. They all tell their own story, but they all tie together into this larger picture that I'm really enjoying. Yeah, that's exactly it. I'm really digging where you're getting all of the um, the back history from what led to the war between the Atlanteans and the Amazons. And you're getting it from all of these different angles so that you can then make your own, you know, opinion of who was right and who was wrong kind of thing. Was, I'm really I'm really digging that. Yeah, um, that's pretty much all I got. What you have anything this week, Roger? You know what? I finished the freaking Civil War stuff. That was my yeah. (laughs) It was only 106 (laughs) issues. Actually, that's a lie. I'm still on the last one, but that's the recap. That's like the tons of writing that has everything, (laughs) and I'm reading it all, and I'm loving it because it's actually very interesting. Because a lot of them have um, when they're talking about each of the characters and what has the impact that the civil war has had on them they're doing interviews with either the writer or and or the writer and the um the the artist behind it so when you're looking at the um, the impact of the civil war and how much it's spanned across so many different issues and whatnot it's very interesting to get that behind the scenes from the writers when they're talking about it and what it meant to them because they're very they're very protective of their series. Their characters mean a lot to them. But it was very interesting to read how they don't have a say necessarily in how their characters behave in other people's series. So when you're seeing Spider-Man in, you know, an Iron Man series, the the creators behind Spider-Man at the time didn't have any say in what was going on in that series, which is why when you're reading something like this, and again, it was 106 issues to go through all of the, the tie-ins and everything else. When you're reading something like this, it's very interesting because the, the, the characters aren't always the same throughout. And that's why, because the, the creator of, you know, the guys who are in charge of Iron Man, who were a father and son team, well, they're particular to Iron Man. They, they, they know that he's being portrayed as the biggest on the planet right now. So <laughs> they have to work around that and try to make him into someone that you can care about despite that. And so how they use other characters in their series is in order to help their uh, Iron Man. So they're, you know, Spider-Man is just a tool to help them develop Iron Man. And the same throughout all the other series. So it was very, very interesting to read that from the the writers. So I really dug that. (laughs) I love how we were discussing this when you were about halfway through and you're like, oh, I know at the end they're just going to tie everything up and make everything better again. No. 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 I got to the end and was like, that can't be the end. What's going on? <laughs> and and seriously, I'm going to have to do some reading after this now to make sense of this because yeah. it ain't making sense now and it's done. Yeah, because it, 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 it told its story and then it set up the Marvel Universe for several years to come. Uh, after Civil War, Tony Stark was now in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. So you had this really cool stuff. You had the new Avengers team. This was really when uh, Luke Cage stepped up to become a leader of one of the good story arcs uh, I've enjoyed of Marvel in recent years. And they were on the run. You know, they were the they were the team that sided with Captain America. Hey, hey, they lost. They were still being superheroes, but they had to do it underground because Iron Man was looking for them. Every single issue, S.H.I.E.L.D. was over their shoulders. And then you had Iron Man start up his own team of Avengers to be, you know, the Avengers instead of those other guys. So for a couple years, the Marvel Universe had this really interesting tension to it of, you know, who really are the good guys here? I And see, that's the thing, too. I didn't like the ending in terms of Captain America giving up. Not because I'm a huge Captain America fan, as we've established, wherein I was thinking, oh, no, he has to fight till the end and all that. But literally just a few issues prior to the quote unquote end when he gives himself up, he was telling them how it doesn't matter if what you're fighting for goes against the government. It doesn't matter if what you're fighting for goes against 
all of the people within your country. If it's right, it's right. And then just a few issues later, he's being he's looking at these just average Americans saying, you know, trying to stop him and realizing, oh, I'm not fighting for what everybody else wants. Well, hold on a second. Just a few freaking issues back, you were like, it doesn't matter if freaking Joe Plummer cares or not. This is right, and I'm going to do it. So it, it, it just didn't feel right. And again, I kept thinking about what they were saying, how depending on who is handling it, which writer, it's not always going to be consistent. It's going to be how it furthers their story. And I just felt that for a project of this scope, they should have got together. There should have been a, a table somewhere, a boardroom, that they could get together and throw ideas to make sure that they're on the same page. Because that just, for for the ending of a story arc of that stature, you better make sure that it's been working towards that from all of the comic books. And again, it was just a few issues prior to that where everything he said contradicted that. Well. Again, that's not kind of the way I saw it. The way I saw it was he still believed what he was fighting for is right. He still believed that they were doing the right thing, but he didn't think the war itself was good for the country. When, you know, when he stopped and, you know, the, the people were yelling at him and he, he just looked around and saw what their what their battle was doing to the people, you know, regardless of whether or not they're right, you know, they're kind of destroying, you know, the civilians lives. I think that's kind of why he gave up again, my personal interpretation of it. And then beyond that, you know, and you see, if you're reading Captain America after Civil War, you know, he decided he was going to take his fight, you know, more officially instead of, you know, just running through the streets and beating people up. He was taking it to the courts and, you know, telling his story and doing it the proper American way, if you will. And, well, yeah, you know, the whole court thing didn't turn out too well for him. <laughs> proper American way would have been putting his shield through Tony Stark's throat when he had that chance. There you go. But, Done deal. How, how great was that when, you know, when the shield agents tried to arrest him? At, at the beginning of the story. He's like, I don't want to hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Captain America. <laughs> yeah, but no. o- overall, thumbs up, thumbs down. The story arc? Um, you know what? In all honesty, as a whole, thumbs down. Hmm. I mean, yeah. I really, and I, I love Marvel. I've never hidden that. I love all the characters. Um, I don't think it was handled properly in terms of making sure that all the writers are on the same page. And when you're excluding a group as powerful as the mutant community kind of thing, which for the most part, they kind of were excluded because the X-Men decided they weren't getting involved in this. And I'm like, bull, they would have gotten involved. And so there was too much that was, I, I didn't like the way it was handled. And then a lot of it too, I know now how it turned out with all the crap with, you know, Aunt May getting shot and then he wanting that one more day. I know that now nobody knows who Spider-Man is. Give me a break. You know, it's kind of hard to take it seriously and as as something of consequence, excuse me, when you know that it's not going to make any difference later. Yeah, especially when Spider-Man's personal story within the Civil War was so great. Yeah, exactly. So there was, there were too many things where if I had not known that it would be completely written off and nobody would care about it and completely changed over the years, then yeah, it would mean a lot more. But I know that that canon means nothing for the most part. And I just feel that in a lot of cases, going back to again, I don't think that they coordinated enough to make sure that it was a consistent story throughout that you would care about. The whole thing with Reed Richards and his equations on, you know, the, what yeah. would be and all that. And I'm going, you're kidding. That's that's the out you're giving him because yeah. you have to give him an out because he was one of the bad guys creating this, you know, prison in another dimension. So that's the out you're giving him. And I'm thinking that's terrible. That's absolutely terrible and there were too many instances in like in that entire series where i was thinking that's terrible for for me to look back at at it as a whole and give it a thumbs up yeah individually there are a lot of really good parts to the story but yeah overall it it just i have to agree it was it was kind of scattered and that's something marvel has gotten better with when they do over the years with their big events they've gotten a little tighter there's been a little more i don't want to say editorial control but there's been a lot more um of the writers dealing with each other. And it does come through in, in future big events that they've done, but uh, okay. Civil yeah. war. You're, you're finally done with that one. Finally done. I will. I'm not going to, I've read some other ones. I'm not going to go on too many, but I did want to talk just ever so briefly on X 23, because for a lot of those first episodes really wasn't digging where the story was going and all that right now, actually the last few I've read, um, 10 and 11, I've actually been enjoying it a little bit more. They're touching on things that are going on with X, 
or with X-Men right now with the whole vampire thing with Jubilee being a vampire and they're bringing her into this series and I'm liking how they're doing the character interactions between X-23 and Jubilee and things like that and they're bringing in more of both Wolverine and Jubilee throughout it's kind of been fun I've liked the way they've handled it it's a few times it's like okay this is a little stupid like when she's going dress shopping but overall it's been something that's been they're they're adding a little bit more to their cast with both both Wolverine and Jubilee both of them coming off of that oh terrible miniseries (laughs) oh my god that was bad but I'm liking the interactions and it's creating something a little different for X-23, which is what we need. So I've actually been digging it. And the art, dude, man, this it's it's Sana Takeda. Is, I don't know if that's a man or a woman, but they do the full art and it looks almost like pastel work at points. Just absolutely beautiful. My only my only critique of it is that every once in a while, for some reason, they make x-23's nose very red it looks like she has a cold all the time (laughs) (laughs) but the artwork throughout is just unbelievably just awesome and again i like the story how they're bringing in a couple other people for now and giving that different look of how x-23 is still struggling with her her humanity her you know her soul whatever you want to call it yeah all right so uh some good stuff there. I might I might end up checking out X twenty three since you're uh, you're giving it a, t- a tentative thumbs up on there. So the last I might do one. I'll, I'll look into again. Yeah, I okay. wouldn't go much further than that because some of the other stuff was still the stupid crap before that. Docking, docking, and it was like I read those and uh, oh my god, it was it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. So don't read those. But the last two with Wolverine and Jubilee actually weren't bad. I enjoyed them. Okay. All right. So we're going to wrap up as usual with our new releases for this week. Uh, On the Marvel side of things, we have Amazing Spider-Man 664, FF number five, The Incredible Hulk's Annual, uh, finishing up the storyline that was told across Spider-Man and Deadpool, which I actually have kind of liked. Iron Age number one. It's a miniseries, even though this is technically issue two. They did another one of those alpha things. Um, Iron Man travels back in time, has to deal with the Avengers and teams of that time. Uh, Pretty interesting setup. At one that I know we we are very looking forward to here. Marvel Universe versus Wolverine oh, number one. <laughs> Based off the great Marvel Universe versus the Punisher miniseries from last year, which is oh. also available now in a trade paperback. It's also available in hardcover. I've got the hardcover. I ordered it from Amazon. Oh, dude, it's my precious. I love it. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Uncanny X-Men 535 and Venom number four. Moving on to DC, again, Flashpoint. We've got two one-shots in Green Arrow Industries and the Canterbury Cricket, as well as two more number ones for miniseries. We have Hal Jordan and Project Superman. Outside of Flashpoint, we have Batman Arkham City number three, Green Lantern Emerald Warriors number 11, which through a stupid publishing mistake is the aftermath to War of the Green Lanterns, which doesn't end until next week. Hmm. Whoops. And we have Scalp number 50, Thunder Agents number eight and Zombie number four. And then oh, go ahead. No, nothing. I was just going to say that we got some good stuff there. Like, I, again, I've been loving Arkham City, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what where that's going. And then the Flashpoint, it's just one of those again. I, I'm digging everything that's coming out, so I have no doubts about this. And then just to round out, we have Incorruptible 19 from Boom Studios and Walking Dead 86 from Image. Got to see what's happening with Carl. Come on. At some point, he's either got to kick the bucket or start walking. There's something. He can't just stay in that bed forever. It could be the rolling dead. Yeah, really. He's just going to carry him on his back, <laughs> strapped him with duct tape. You know, uh, have you met Carl? <laughs> Keeps drooling all over Rick's shoulder. <laughs> He's a little slow. Don't knock his helmet off. <laughs> So on that note, we're going to wrap up issue 33 of the comic book informer. I just have the visual. I'm going to have to draw it out so that people can see what I mean. Despite the insanity you're currently hearing, uh, be sure to check us out next week. Uh, Outside of that, you can find us on comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer and also on iTunes. Uh, You can hit us there every week. Uh, We'd like some reviews. We'd like some feedback. And we'll see everybody for issue 34.
Seriously, tell me you can't see it though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's bad. <laughs> My name is Carl. Would you like a candy? Dad, <laughs> <laughs> can we have pancakes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me about the rabbits. Tell me about the rabbits. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and give him a little squirt gun where he could shoot zombies with a little water gun. <laughs> pow, pow, I got you. <laughs> Good boy, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah, I wish I could draw better. <laughs> I have a shot of him eating Kirk Rick's hair. <laughs> Dad, your hair tastes funny. <laughs> I mentioned I'm a little tired. <laughs> okay. The sheriff's badge is just a cookie. <laughs> Got big dent marks on it. He's <laughs> <laughs> oh. wearing the hat, but they had to trim it down so that would fit his head. Oh, they have to fit over top of the helmet. <laughs> Strapped down with duct tape. <laughs> I'm a cowboy dad. <laughs> I sense we've gone too far. His head all loopy on the top, you know. Maybe, maybe some hockey sticks taped to his back and his neck, so to keep his head from bouncing all over the place. I don't play hockey. I don't play hockey. <laughs> I gotta go pee that. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's Larry's head. <laughs> okay, I lost you, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Someday you'll agree with me. It's never too sure. late. Uh, absolutely, and I will sell it to you for $50. <laughs> That's not reasonable. <laughs> That's not reasonable. <laughs> give you 40 for it <laughs> throw in the red lantern ring I don't have it Joe never sent it <laughs> oh, yeah, he's, blaming it. It. he's blaming it on Canada yeah he's blaming it on Canada Post guess what buddy Canada Post is back on I got my Pokemon cards from Japan dude Canada Post is back up. <laughs> you got something I, Japan. Yes. When he could literally drive. Drive to over. Yeah. He could have driven over and thrown it across the border. <laughs> Here, give this to Raj. <laughs> 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 but no. 